Welcome from Tiffin Baptist Church. We hope you enjoy this message. I was telling Brian I, I thought I should come up with a sermon that on these cold and icy days that basically just preaches on the fire of hell so we could all uh, maybe be thinking about something hot uh, while we're in here. But hey, we, we can think about chili. Um, it's coming, and I like chili, so I'm looking forward. Did, who, did anybody make some chili today? I'm the only one? Well, then I will obviously have the best chili here today. Uh, how about that? Brian was thinking about making the chili, but we didn't want it to jeopardize our friendship when he lost, so between who had the best chili. Hey, we're going to be in James chapter 3 today, 1 through 12. Uh, this was a sermon I had prepared for last week. Uh, it didn't take much for me just to change the date to this Sunday, and uh, so that's where we're going to be at today. And in this passage, uh, James is going to be directing our thoughts to what comes out of our mouth. Um, the last time we were together, the message that um, I preached and the passage of Scripture that we went through was about faith and works. And so I don't think James is really changing his thought pattern here. I think he's going to a work that everybody in here has in common, which is how does your mouth work? And um, the way our mouth works is important and it's powerful. I, I'll give you an example of how important words are. See if you can recognize this. Uh, I'm, I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. Do you recognize those words? Yeah, that's the Godfather, right? Except he said it more like, I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. He says it more like that. That's a bad impression, but anybody wants to do better? No? How about these words? Um, go ahead make my day. Recognize those words? Yeah, Dirty Harry, right? I know what you're thinking, did I fire five shots or did I fire six shots, that whole? Uh, how about this one? I've got a feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. <laughs> Recognize those words? Yeah, Wizard of Oz? I got a couple more. These are all for the old folks, because I'm old, but uh, this one's not, although it is old, but it's newer now, but May the force be with you, right. Uh, and then one more, yo Adrian. Yeah, so here, here's my point. Words stick with us, right? So the things that come out of our mouth are important. If we can remember movie quotes, and we know probably where we were when we saw the movie, and who we were sitting with, and whether or not we thought it was a good movie, and maybe the date we were on, or maybe we rented it and watched it at home, or maybe we own it and we watch it every week, but words mean something. And so this passage of Scripture is one that we should all perk up and listen. Now James, I'm sure, had some pretty good insight on this, right? Growing up in a house with Jesus. Can you imagine? Now, I'm not going to go through all of the uh, what-ifs, but I'm sure that their house wasn't any different than your house or my house, where there was probably a little bickering, a little fighting, some name-calling, right? Some pointing the fingers. I didn't do it. I'm pretty sure my brother or my sister did it. 
Well, can you imagine in Jesus' house, and he had brothers and sisters, how that went down? You see, James, I'm sure, probably called his brother names. Yeah, it even records that he did. And I'm sure there were times when James did not get along with Jesus. So I'm, as he writes this, think about the guy that's writing this. Grew up in a household with a guy that never once called him a name. Not once. Never once blamed James for something that James didn't do. Not once. I mean, treated his brother with respect concerning the words that came out of his mouth. And James, James was around when Jesus' ministry was going on. So James either witnessed firsthand or heard it from a firsthand witness the power of his brother's words, his half-brother's words. I mean, he would see or hear about his half-brother speaking and people's arms would grow back. Just speaking. He would hear about his brother speaking and people's eyes would start to work again. And I get the feeling that their eyes probably weren't even, even there and they just sort of appeared. I mean, James either firsthand or heard about his half-brother would say something to a storm and it would stop. James also understood because he was a man of Scripture that his half-brother's words had creative power in them too. All the way back to Genesis. James knew that his half-brother taught the importance of words. Uh, I'm reminded of a story in Matthew 12. And Jesus has the Pharisees on him, and this is, this is common. Uh, they're his enemies, and so Jesus has the Pharisees on him, the religious right. And he uh, walks into church one day, into the synagogue, and they have planted a guy who's crippled. And um, they try and catch Jesus, and Jesus says, uh, is it wrong to heal on the Sabbath? And he looks right at him, and then he looks back at this guy, and he heals him. And then what happens is everybody now, because people were afraid to ask for this on the Sabbath, because the Pharisees said, you can't do that on the Sabbath. And they had a whole system of rules of how you treated the Sabbath. And so now a whole group of people follow Jesus, and they want to be healed too. And so he heals all of them on the Sabbath. And then after this is all said and done, these Pharisees look at Jesus and do they say, yeah, your miracles are just a trick. They don't say that. They actually look at Jesus and they say, this guy's getting his power from Satan. And then Jesus tells them how illogical that is. If Satan gave me my power, then Satan's working against himself because I'm doing God's work. And then, Je and then Jesus says this to them. And, and I tell all that just to get to this point. He looks at the Pharisees and he says this, you brood of poisonous snakes, you can't speak good words because your heart is rotten. You will be judged by every idle word you speak. So we are going to be held accountable to the words that come out of our mouth. They are powerful. How did... How did God, and by the way, God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit, all three hanging out at the beginning of time, 
in Genesis 1, right? It's like they're having a conversation with themselves. How did he create everything? He said, let there be light. No confusion about this either. He says, let there be light. It was in Genesis 1 that he created something from nothing, just his words. It was in Genesis 1 that he revealed the purpose to all of mankind, just his words. It was just his words in Genesis 2 that he gave commands to Adam and Eve. It was just his voice that called out to find lost people in the first garden in Genesis 3, as well as the second garden in Matthew, when he prays for us. It's his voice that gives judgment in Genesis 3, as well as it'll be his voice that proclaims judgment to all mankind in Revelation 22. Even the people that are against Jesus Christ know the power of words. How did Satan trick Eve? Just his words. No flashy supernatural event. No nothing for dramatic effect. Just his words. That's what he uses to tempt. It is sad that I read God's word and sometimes misunderstand it. It's sad that that happens. And that's why it's important for us to continue going to God's words and continue asking for his wisdom and understanding as we read. So this morning, that's exactly what we're going to do. We're going to read this morning's passage, James 3, 1 through 12. Before we do, we're going to ask for God's wisdom uh, on our hearts. God, this morning, as we read your holy scriptures, God, there is nothing confusing about them. The only thing that is confusing is our ability to understand them. And as usual, Lord, I ask for the same things I always ask. One, I just ask that you reveal more about who you are to us. God, your depth of your love and the width of your mercy and grace is farther than I can imagine. And God, through your scriptures, I ask that you do just that this morning. Reveal more of who you are to us. God, the second thing is that I ask that you reveal something about ourselves. That, God, we use this scripture as a reflection to look at the innermost parts of who we are. Parts that need to be confessed this morning. Parts that need to be examined. Parts that need to be given over to you. Lord, we appreciate being able to gather here today. We love you so much and we pray these in your son Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right, let's read James 3, 1 through 12. Not many should become teachers, my brothers, because you know that we will receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is mature, able to also to control the whole body. Now if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they will obey us, we direct their whole bodies and consider ships. Though very large and driven by fierce winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So too, though the tongue is a small part of the body, it boasts great things. Consider how a small fire sets ablaze a large forest, and the tongue is a fire. The tongue, a world of unrighteousness, is placed among our members. It stains the whole body, sets the course of life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. Every kind of animal, bird, reptile, and fish is tame 
and has been tamed by humankind, but no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue we bless our Lord and Father, and with, with it we curse people who are made in God's likeness. Blessing and cursing come out of the same mouth, my brothers and sisters. These things should not be this way. Does a spring pour out sweet and bitter water from the same opening? Can a fig tree produce olives, my brothers and sisters, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a saltwater spring yield fresh water. Well, based on this passage, how do you guys feel about this little phrase? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. How's that line up with what we just read? It's the opposite, isn't it? Right? I mean, my wounds will heal, but sometimes words that hurt me, they never heal. And so as we read this, as we read this section, we want to we be intentional on how we use our words. And I hope you guys get that today. The first verse seems to give a caution to teaching. Now, I've heard this section preached a lot, and a lot of people like to say that this is pastor, so it applies to the dude standing up here in front of you today. Well, you're not going to get off that easy, right? I'm not going to sit here and just preach to myself. No. You see, I know some uh, religions that take a vow of silence in order to avoid sinning with their mouth. You guys can't do that. Why? Let me tell you the kind of church James had in his day. You see, in his day, you'd gather together and anybody that was 30 years of age, mature, could stand up and give the word. Any of them. They could stand up and be the one that day that read scripture and talked. So he's got a broader sense of just one person standing in front of a group of people. Secondly, we're all familiar with Matthew 28, right? I'll read it for you. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of this age. Hmm. Well, that sounds a little bit even more broad, doesn't it? Well, some people say, well, just the 11 were hanging out on that day in 28, so he was probably just talking to the big 11. Really? Well, how about just a few weeks later, they're standing on the side of a hill, and it's Acts chapter 1, and Jesus looks at a large group of people, all ages, men, women, all of them, probably in the number of 100 to 150. And he says this, you'll be my witnesses. First here, then over there, and then even farther away. You'll be my witnesses. You see, we're expected to open our mouths and be a representative of God. That's what it is. And in verse 1, he gives a warning. Not many should become teachers. I do think he's talking about somebody that stands in front of a group and gives God's word there. Because you know that you will receive a stricter judgment. But I want you to understand that all of us are expected to teach Christ to the people that we come in contact with by what we say. And be rest assured, 
I mean, this applies to me. You get it wrong, or you mishandle how you speak about God and Jesus Christ, God's not going to put up with it. It's one thing to mishandle our words about the people we sit next to and get it wrong about them, but you get it wrong about Christ. God can kill both body and soul. People can just do the sticks and stones. Verse 2. For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's mature, able also to control the body. You know what I got out of that? Something we all have in common. Big mouths. There's a lot of sins out there, but one that we all have right at our lips is the words that we say. And what's a mark of maturity? Well, we've already learned about this. As a matter of fact, you know in James, in all five chapters, he's going to talk about what you say. And all five of them. We've already heard about being slow to speak, right? And real religion is how you treat people and speak to them. So we get into verse 3 and 4. In verse 3 and 4, I, I get this idea of don't be fooled by the small size of your tongue. Don't be fooled by it. James gives two examples, and I think his two examples are probably just to, I don't know, get to a larger, broader audience, you know, farming and shipping, two pretty common jobs at this time. The first one we get is a horse bit. Now, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we direct their whole bodies. That seems pretty obvious, right? I don't know much about horses. You probably gathered that, right? Yeah, I don't know much about horses. I've rode one a time or two, and it had a bit in its mouth. But I, I'm just going to be honest with you, horses scare me. They do. I'll tell you why. When I was 14 years old, my neighbor had a horse, and uh, it had a bit in its mouth. I hopped on top of it, and uh, it, of course this was with his permission, Floyd. Um, I, I trusted Floyd, and Floyd said, yeah, go ahead and ride that horse. That horse ran me underneath a cedar tree with a bit in its mouth, did not care what I wanted it to do. Took me right off. And from that day on to this day, I'm not real crazy about getting on a horse. So my daughter turned 16, and guess what she wants to do? Dad, take me for a horseback ride. Not my idea of a picnic. Well, this is James. He says, and I understand it, an out-of-control horse? That's scary. Sometimes I would end up at my Uncle Marvin's, and he has horses. And uh, I, I didn't do much with them. I never rode them. I was older then, and I, I could tell people no, you know. And so there's one day Marvin's like, hey, why don't you uh, help me uh, clip some hooves today? And I was like, no. He's like, yeah, come on. I was like, okay. So we go out. And uh, we, we've got this horse, and he's leading it around, and it, it seems completely tame, right? And so he takes it over, and he takes this rope, and he, and he takes it, and he ties it off to a post. And, um, and then he, we get behind, and we start, we start caring for its hooves. And, um, and uh, Marvin, he says, you know, we, we're fooling this horse into thinking we're stronger than we really are. And I was like, oh, yeah? And he's like, yeah, because... See, it doesn't realize it's tied off to this post. 
So it thinks we're the one holding the rope. And I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. So I walk over and I get some stuff out of the shed and I look around and the horse had had enough. And so the horse just kind of reared its head, pulled that post right out of the ground, like nothing. I mean like nothing, like, like a candle out of a birthday cake. Just pulled it right out. And Marvin yelling at this horse, and I, I don't, I'm not going over there. He's <laughs> on his own. And all of these thoughts go into my head when he talks about controlling a horse because I, I, I'm a little scared of these things. Well, I have to remember that James doesn't really want me to focus on a horse. He wants me to focus on my tongue. And as scary as it is for me to get on a horse that runs me under a tree and one that rips a post out of the ground, that's my tongue. And that's how I should act around it. Is it's a very powerful thing that can be scary. I even thought about this. I'm, I'm chasing rabbit trails. You know I do this. But I even thought about this. How big is the average horse jockey? What are they, 100 pounds? And they're sitting on a 1,000-pound animal? And that thing does what they want? Shouldn't happen that way. We should see a jockey or two get thrown, like hundreds of feet. There'd be more people watch horse racing. That's what I think. Well, James doesn't think a horse is enough, so he, uh, he points our direction to ships. Verse 4, and consider ships. Though they're very large and driven by fierce winds, they're guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So I, uh, I know a little bit more about boats, even though I don't own one. I will never own a boat. But you know, bits and rudders are neutral. They're not good or bad. They just do what they're told. And um, so I, I, looked up, I looked up one boat that I think you'll all recognize, and uh, it, it's the Titanic. Yeah? So the Titanic, it, it was a big boat. We have boats that are bigger than that today, but I thought you would identify with the Titanic. I mean, I could have done some cruise ship, which is way bigger than the Titanic, but I thought I'd do the Titanic because we all know where that one ended up. The rudder of the Titanic weighed 100 tons. That's 200,000 pounds. Now you're thinking, dang, that's a big rudder. Well, yeah, but the Titanic, it weighs 46,000 tons. That's about 92 million pounds. Now let me put this into perspective for you because I'm a nerd and I do stuff like that. That means that the rudder controlling the ship was less than a half a percent of its total weight, 0.2. So here's the Titanic, and 0.2% of the Titanic is what's controlling its direction. And even less, it talks about a pilot. And how much does the guy that was driving the Titanic weigh? What, a couple hundred pounds, the captain? Even less. James says, you know, wild horses can be controlled by something very small, and a boat that gets driven by wind and waves can be controlled by something very small. So therefore, we can be controlled by something very small. James gets into a little bit more specific since rudders and bits are kind of neutral. Now he gets into something that's not neutral and that's 
destruction. And that gets us into 5 and 6. 5 and 6. So too, though the tongue is a small part of the body, it boasts great things. In other words, it can do a lot. Consider how a small fire sets ablaze a large forest. And the tongue is a fire. I don't think there's any question about the destructive capabilities of our mouths. If you've got a mouth that has not had that kind of situation, well then you would be perfect. I don't see anybody that falls into that category. Make sure I look around at everybody. No. And while we want to sit here and we want to probably just go through the lists, and it would probably be nice if I just listed all the sins of the mouth, I don't think that's an issue. Not one today. I think the issue is our heart. I grew up hearing this big furry guy say, only you can prevent forest fires. You remember Smokey the Bear? Is he even still around? Still? Yeah? Does he still say that? Still does? Well, that bear is a liar. I did research on forest fires. I've never done research on forest fires in my entire life. But preparing for this sermon, I thought, okay, James, I'm going to see what you're all about, right? Forest fires. Guess what the number one cause of forest fires is? Lightning. Yeah. I'm not doing anything about lightning. Yeah. Now, I realize if I'm smoking a cigarette and I flick it out the window, okay, that's on me. Or if I'm having a campfire and it's really windy and it's dry conditions, that's on me. Or if I decide, hey, I'm going to go out and shoot some fireworks and it's completely dry outside and I start one, that's on me. But when I did research, and there's a bunch of forest fires, the vast majority of them were lightning strikes and dry conditions. I even saw the movie. Did you see that movie about the forest fire dudes? Um, what was it called? Something Brave. Anybody see it? Only, only the Brave? Was that it? That movie called Only the Brave, which basically uh, there were 13 guys that got trapped and killed. Um, I, I saw that movie. Uh, that one actually came up in my research because it even said that there was a movie. I wish I wrote it in my notes so I could give you more information. I did write some things in my notes, though, about forest fires. I'd let you know. I grew up in an area that had a forest fire. I lived right on the south side of Fellows Lake, and there was somebody going around in the 80s. I don't know. You old timers might remember this. But around in the 80s, there was somebody going around that was actually setting fires. They were arson. They were started by somebody who just wanted to burn stuff. And so I lived right next to Fellows Lake, and most of the land around Fellows Lake is city utility owned. So if you go on there, you've got to have all kinds of permission just to walk to the lake. But I remember one time they set a fire right down there on the south side of Fellows Lake where my house was, and it came pretty close. And I can remember going down there one time. There was one single blacktop road that took you to Fellows Lake. And um, I remember going down there, and, and my, my mom and my dad said, you don't need to go down there. And I'm like, okay, I'm going down there. So I went down there, and this was one of the craziest things I saw. And this is a small one. This isn't like the ones in California deals, but this is a small one. But this is one thing I saw. That thing was so hot that I, I was standing. Uh, I, I don't even know. I was young. I was in junior high. But I was probably standing from, from here to the intersection down there, and it was so hot 
that I was putting my hand in front of my face. And it, it was that far away. And there was something else I saw. Is it was so hot that it was, it was burning the asphalt. Like it was going across and burning the asphalt and jumping across the road because I thought, hey, it won't go across that road. But yeah, it did. And I was like, that's crazy. And that comment kind of popped in my head. And then, and then I thought, I'll just look up forest fires. So I looked one up. The deadliest forest fire. Deadliest one. How many people died? 80? Yeah. 1,200. 1871. I don't even know if I'm saying this right. So if I'm saying this wrong, don't tell me I said it wrong. But Hestigo, Wisconsin. They're not even sure how many people died. They're pretty sure it was at least 1,200. Could have been 2,500. The reason why is because everybody in the town were related and there was nobody to show up to say, I'm looking for a family member because they were all dead. Very few people survived. The only people that survived, crazy enough, there were about 50 people that got inside a church and everything around the church burned except the church. Strange, I think not. There were people that jumped down wells and would have never got out if somebody hadn't found them. A lot of people jumped in a nearby river, but it was winter time, so hypothermia killed them. But the people that didn't die can remember being in the river and it was so hot, and I, I, I totally get this, because I was next to one that was small time, and it was blazing hot, but they were splashing water on their face. And most of this account was written by a preacher who was in the river with these people. It's actually a pretty good um, manuscript if you ever get on there and read it. And so I, I think about this, and then I, I read ones, crazy ones, like, um, like in, uh, in the 1950s, there was a 200-foot wall of fire uh, come at some firefighters, got them all. Uh, and it was worse than uh, the one in the movie. I mean, it was just, and, and for the record, there weren't very many fires that there wasn't the little line, this many people died, this many people, very few. They're all pretty deadly. And so after I did this, I went back to this passage and I thought, you're kidding me. That's my mouth. That's my mouth. That's your example to the Lord is forest fires, how deadly they are, how out of control they are. That's my mouth. Something that controls indiscriminately, doesn't care. And if it doesn't destroy it, it can ruin it, right? Yeah. I remember I went camping, and it was a youth trip, and I was, uh, we were on an island, and uh, the temperatures dropped to about 30 that night. So I was, I was sitting so close to the fire, I didn't catch on fire, but I was sitting so close to the fire that the smoke was on me all night long, and so I had this coat on, and it, it was ruined. Like, every time I put the coat on, the whole room was like, what, what am I smelling? Like, everybody knew it. And so I eventually threw the coat away. I mean, it was destroyed, ruined. I remember at school, I, I had a good friend of mine who was in a house fire. She, I can't, I can't tell you how many skin grafts that she had while I was in high school with her. Seemed like she always had bandages on her face. You see, if our mouths don't actually destroy something, we, they can ruin it. And it also says in here, 
that it's not set according to time either. You see, it says the tongue is a fire. The tongue is a world of unrighteousness. I'm looking in verse 6. Placed among our members. And I'm not sure if it's talking about just me or if it's talking about Tiffin Baptist. Like a fire among our members. You see what I mean? I went around and around and chased my tail for a long time and decided I think it could be either one. It could be just for me, sets me on fire, or it could be something that sets this congregation on fire in the wrong way. Among our members, it stains the whole body. Sets the course of life on fire. You see, it's not bound by time. It doesn't matter how old you are. Words can be damaging. The ones that come out of your mouth. Man, I hear my daughter come home all the time from her job at childcare, And she, she says some of the things those kids say. And they hurt my 21-year-old daughter. Like these little five-year-olds say things to a 21-year-old young lady and it hurts her. And I'm thinking... James is right. It's your whole life you deal with this. Doesn't matter how old you are, teenager, young adult, retired, grandma, grandpa. Every word we speak has power. Have you guys had words come back to haunt you? You had that? Okay, I've been teaching for 21, 22 years, and I'm telling you right now, I've had words come back to haunt me. Like, there are kids, they, my students, that there was a day where I woke up on the wrong side of the bed and came to school just ready to just chop heads off. I mean, I was just in a bad mood. And that, was, that happened to be the day that this kid was down, and I was, I was quick. I had a sharp tongue that day. And that kid remembers those words. You see, my mouth still starts fires of something, a spark I had years ago. I don't think I need to go through a list of sins that our mouths are capable of. Because I'll tell you, the only sin that really matters is the fact that our mouths can keep lost people lost. That is the worst thing that can happen out of our mouths. And that can be from any sin. Any sin. Cussing. Prideful words. Any sin. Gossip. Anything. And when our mouths act like this, James tells us where it stems from. Right at the, verse, right at the end of verse 6. It itself is set on fire by hell. Yikes. When your mouth is out of control like a horse without a bit and a ship without a rudder and a forest fire without anybody to fight it, it's like hell itself. Now, everybody in this day understood what James meant. I'll tell you why. The word that he used was Gehenna. Now there's another word for hell. It's called Hades. But the word he used here is Gehenna. Gehenna is an actual place. Like there's this little burn pile outside Jerusalem. Guess what it was called? Gehenna. Guess what they threw on it? Dead bodies. Animal waste. Human waste. Animal carcasses. Trash. It was a trash heap. And it was always burning. And it always stunk. And it was nasty. And the whole area was full of maggots. 
So when James says, your mouth is set on fire by hell, he picks a place that they all recognize, Gehenna. And I'm like, James isn't pulling any punches here. I mean, if you're not getting any clear picture about the capabilities of your mouth, you're missing the point. It's destructive. Well, what to do about this tongue, right? Well, how about we work real hard and clamp it down? How about that? Is that what we can do? Well, let's read. Every kind, this is verse 7, every kind of animal, bird, reptile, and fish is tamed and has been tamed by humankind, but no one can tame the tongue. It is restless evil full of deadly poison. Well, you're not going to work real hard at keeping your mouth shut. No. And you only got one tongue. So when I was doing this, I thought, I like circuses, right? I don't like them much anymore. But I liked them when I was with my kids and they were younger, because it was kind of fun. And I, I thought to myself, you gotta be an idiot to get in a cage with a giant cat. Because I know they have the same disposition as the cat I have at home. Whereas one day, they like you, and the next day, they wanna bite your ankle. Like, sneak attack, walking down the hall. For that reason, every cat, in my opinion, deserves to be outside and never in my house. But I lost that argument time and time again, until finally, my wife got mad at the cat, and then suddenly my idea was a good idea. And the cat found itself outside. You know why we like circuses? Because we think it's cool when we see people tame things that probably should never be tamed, like doing tricks. And we start, we're like amazed. And here's what James says. Catch this. He says, you sit in a circus, and you watch a lion that can jump from here to there, or an elephant that can get up on its back legs, or pick somebody up, or do this. And those animals, they're more tame than your tongue will ever be. That's what James is saying. Yeah? I was gonna bring my daughter's dog today, because I've taught my daughter's dog a few tricks and show you how, you know, we can do this, we can tame. I thought that would probably be fun to do, but then I thought, what am I gonna do with that stupid dog for the next? Because it, it doesn't stop. I mean, it's a dog. So then I thought, well, people are pretty stupid today. They like to have pets. And if there's a certain animal that they shouldn't have a pet, well, they seem to want that one even worse, right? So I thought, well, what's, well, what's the top worst pets that you could ever have? Top worst pets. You want to throw a few names out here? Huh? Yeah. Monkeys right at the top. Any large cat. Or in my opinion, any cat, period. Snakes, that's at the top. People who think they need a pet bear, that's at the top. People want pet raccoons. That's up there. Worst pets to ever have. There's people that want pet bats. Like a bat. That's a mouse with wings. People want wolves and coyotes for pets. And everywhere on the internet says, you should not have these as pets. Alligators and crocs. There's people that want those as pets. And everybody, all animal handlers say, no. Then there was one that showed up I thought was odd. They said foxes. 
don't have a pet fox. I was like, hey, what are they, what are they hating on foxes for? And they said, well, here's the deal. All of these animals, they can give you an appearance like they're tame, but they're not. Like a monkey, you may think they're your friend. Uh, they ain't. Yeah. You get on YouTube and you see when animals attack. Yeah, there wouldn't be a TV show if that wasn't true. <laughs> you see, these wild animals give this appearance of being tame and safe, but they're not. And here's James's point, and I'll say it again. These, these worst pets are tamer than your tongue will ever be. That's his point. And then I thought, well, you know, out of that list, horses weren't on there. So I was like, I'm all right. None of those really scare me. Snakes don't really scare me. Bears really don't. I mean, I'm not going to get in the cage with them, you know, and go give them a big hug. I'm not stupid, but... Then I thought, well, what animal really scares me? Like, if I want this to really mean something to me, what animal would James put in this chapter to be like, you listening to me now, Foster? And here's the animal. A wasp. If he would have said, your tongue is like a wasp, then I'm going to be, say what? Because let me tell you what, I will run, and I never run, but I will run from a wasp. I, I do it all the time. And when somebody says, hey, we got a wasp nest, will you knock it down? Uh-uh. And if there's something that I can do it from a great distance, maybe. I, I took my youth kids one time on a mission trip to Montana, and we helped out a cowboy pastor up there. And there was this shed. I'm not even sure you could call it a shed. It was basically a bunch of wood in some sort of a square with a roof over it. And there was a door and a window, but I'm not sure how it was still standing. It was in this trailer park, and the, the uh, uh, foreman of the trailer park basically said, hey, can you guys tear that shed down? Because I've been wanting to tore down for a long time. And of course, all these young men, you know, destroying something, we're in, right? We don't have to make this look good. We just get the sledgehammers out and start swinging. So we get to the shed, and we all walk in this shed, and I've never seen so many wasp nests in my life. They were everywhere. And it was like, when, you, when it was quiet, it was like there was a hum of an engine running somewhere. There were so many in there, and it was a hot day. We went in the summer. It wasn't like in the winter when, yeah, I kind of have the upper hand on these guys. So we're in there, and we're standing there, and I'm not the only one that feels this way about wasps, because I got a bunch of young kids, you know. I'm, I'm the adult. This story took place when I was in my 40s. I just want you to know that it didn't happen when I was, like, nine. But, so I'm standing in this shed, and immediately I'm thinking, I'm not tearing one board off of this shed. I'm going to let everybody else do it. So I'm standing around with some of these five guys, and the pastor, Pastor Jeff, walks in. He goes, what are you guys waiting on? And nobody says anything, except we just kind of look up. And Pastor Jeff walks over to a wasp nest, full of wasps, just reaches up, grabs it, knocks it down with his hand. What do you think I did? Think I stood around and said, oh, it looked easy. I think I'll do that. <laughs> no. I ran full steam out the door. And just so you know, the door I ran out of was about this tall. Yeah, came to about eye level on me. I ducked, but not enough. 
I ducked just enough so it hit me square on top of the head. And the next thing I knew is I had a youth kid standing over me, smiling, <laughs> nodding his head. Are you okay? And I could see everybody else was laughing. And I was like, oh, I hit my head, didn't I? And they're like, oh, yeah. <laughs> so that's what came to mind when James says, you know what you got in your mouth, Foster? You got a nest of hornets. That's what you have. And you think it's okay to come here at Tiffin Church and play church with a mouth full of hornets. He says, no. And not only that, it's not only just this mouth full of hornets. What's he say? It says, restless. Restless. You know what that means? That means it's the hornets after Pastor Jeff reached up and tore their nest down. Now they're ticked off. That's what he says my tongue is is I've got a mouthful of mad bees that are ready to go out and sting everybody they can sting with no care about what gets caught. That's my mouth. What animal are you scared of? I mean really scared of. That's what you need to think your tongue is. That's what I do. Sadly, we do not have two tongues. We don't. We got one. You know there is animals that have two tongues. Right? You ever heard of a lemur? Yeah? Lemurs have two tongues. You're thinking, what do they need two tongues for? Well, here's what they use them for. Tongue number one is to eat with. Tongue number two is to clean themselves with. We have one. We don't have two. And unfortunately, this tongue that we have acts like two tongues. That's James's point in verse 9. With the tongue, we bless our Lord and Father and with it, we curse people who are made in God's likeness. Blessing and cursing come out of the same mouth. My brothers and sisters, these things should not be this way. Our tongue is hot and cold. This breaks my heart. His example for hot and cold is, first, he talks about water. Does a spring pour out sweet and bitter water from the same opening? Well, we all say, of course it does not. Of course it doesn't. It's ridiculous. I mean, when I go to a water fountain, it's coming from the same. This is what cracks me up. I'll be in my uh, classroom, and a kid will say, can I go to the water fountain and fill my water bottle? And I'm like, actually, you can just go to the back of the room. I've got sinks back there. And they're like, I don't want that water. And I look at them, I'm like, it's coming from the same pipe. If you don't want that water, well, then you don't want the water fountain water. Same source. You either have a good source or not. You need to get your mouth under control by the one who can control it. You see, in James's day, water was precious. Precious. And when I thought of this, and I did some research... What came to mind is every time I take a mission trip to Mexico, that's what popped into my head. Because you, know you know what the missionary says in Mexico? Don't drink the water unless it came from us or it's in a bottle that hasn't been opened. Don't even drink water out of a bottle from somebody if the seal's been broken because they probably just took it and filled it up with their tap and that's what they're selling you. You see, good water is precious. Never, and I mean never, should somebody look at somebody who says they're a Christian 
and look at their mouth and say, don't drink that water. We should never have that. Our mouths should be the rare clean water that is in our job, in our school, next to the people we work with and shop with and live with. That's what our mouths should be. They should be fresh water. Not water that one day is salty and the next day sweet. That shouldn't be us. Next to me should not be, don't drink the water out of Foster's mouth. That should never be. You see, if I let God control my mouth, my mouth can clean. God gives me that power. Like if I speak scripture, it has the ability to clean somebody up. It's not me. It's God. It can restore people, like strengthen them. That's not me. That's God. If I let him control my mouth. I think mouths that are controlled by God are rare today. I think they're rare. What's the thirstiest you've ever been? Like, what's the thirstiest you've ever been? How long did you go without water? An hour? Two hours? A couple days? You went two days without water? That's thirsty? Oh my goodness. I've never been without water for two days, ever. The longest I went without water was the worst thirst I've ever had was this same mission trip in Montana where I ran away from wasps. Montana's dry. Everything's dry. The air's dry. The ground's dry. People weren't mowing their lawns because a spark would start a fire. And it was, it's dry. Well, we had one day left on the mission trip. And Pastor Jeff says, hey, why don't you guys just take it easy today? And I said, no, we're not taking it easy. I go, what do you need done? And he goes, well, I got some hay that needs failed. And I said, we're in. So I drug a whole bunch of teenagers who could barely lift a bale of hay. Now, I had some boys that were pretty tough. But we got out there, and we're baling hay, and we lasted about 45 minutes. And then our mouths, they were like sawdust. And I remember thinking, I have got to get a drink. We brought one igloo cooler of water. It was gone in like two hours. And we worked for six hours. And I can remember going back to his barn thinking, and the problem is, his house didn't have any water. Water was shut off. Because he didn't really live there full time. He lived in a house closer to the church. And I thought, man, I am thirsty today. And then I thought about my mouth. And I thought about how I am in the world today. And there are people who have never heard the hope, the fresh, clean message of Jesus Christ. And I got it right here. And it's rare. And it should be something that I speak. James also says your mouth's like a fruit tree. Can a fig tree produce olives? Can a grapevine produce figs? Well, your mouth is just like a tree. It's got one purpose in mind. It's to produce one kind of fruit. You guys, as well as me, should be a Colossians 3.8 kind of mouth. I'll read it for you. Colossians 3.8. But now you must also put away all of the following. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and filthy language from your mouth. We should not be Colossians 3.8. We should be a 3.16 Colossians mouth. I'll read that for you. 
Let the message about the Messiah dwell richly among you, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. We should be a 316 Colossians, not a 3.8. Well, let me tell you what the solution this morning is. It's not that you need a tongue transplant. It's that you need a heart transplant. That's what you need. You can't swap your mouth out. You need to swap your heart out. Here's, here's, why, here's why my mouth gets out of control. And I'll tell you why it is. It's because there are days when I do not put Jesus Christ in his rightful position and he is not controlling my mouth because he's the only one that can. And then my mouth gets out of control. But if I elevate Jesus Christ to his rightful place, he will tame the untamable. My mouth. My hornet's nest. Now I thought, as I, in conclusion, I thought about the words of Jesus Christ as he was hanging on the cross. You know, when it was tough for him to breathe, and it was tough for him to muster up any words, what did he say? It meant a lot to me when I did it. I wanted to share it with you. On Jesus' toughest day, he still poured out fresh water from his mouth. When it took him every effort to say what he had to say, this is what he said. Father, forgive them. You'll be with me in paradise today. He looked at John and told her to take care of his mom. He asked where God was. He said he was thirsty. He said it's finished. And the last thing he said, into your hands. You see, Jesus showed that he had a heart of forgiveness, goodness, passion, worship, humility, obedience, and trust. And all that came from his heart. That's the person who's going to tame the untamable mouth that we have. A couple of questions for you to think about. A couple of questions. Who owns your heart? Who owns it? If you say Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, then He's the one that owns your heart. He's the one that gets real estate. He's the one that controls your mouth. Second question I want you to think about is, how is your heart displayed by your mouth? Are you a person that people look at you and say, don't drink the water? Or are you a person that, on a day you're bailing hay in Montana, they can't wait for you to be around because your mouth is rare and precious. I'm going to have Sandra come and just play a song for us as we give some time to reflect on what we've read today. I'll be up here at the front. If you want to pray with somebody, you can. Give you a moment with the Lord right now. From Tiffin Baptist Church, thank you for listening to this sermon. Our Sunday service starts at 1045, and we'd love to have you join us.